Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 35. We're now ready to consider verses 16 through 29. Genesis chapter 35, beginning at verse 16. Genesis 35:16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Ani, which means uh, son of my sorrow or son of my pain. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And from the tribe of Benjamin, we have King Saul and the Apostle Paul later. And so there was certainly a right hand from Israel that, that came through Benjamin. Verse 19, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave until uh, to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Billah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So in this passage, we have recorded for us a number of transitions in the life of Jacob, some unwanted changes that are common to all of us. He loses Rachel, the love of his life. He loses his father, who was an example of godliness uh, to him. And we see that Esau and Jacob meet one more time. This is probably the last time that they ever meet together to bury their father, and it seems to be a, a peaceable, uh, peaceful uh, event. But it was the last time that they, as brothers, would, would meet together. And with the birth of Benjamin now, the 12 sons that would complete and make up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, it's now complete. And so from these 12 sons, we've seen that Jacob is beginning to see some of the blessings that were promised to him begin to come to pass. The vast majority of the promises that were made to Jacob, that were actually handed down from Abraham and, and Isaac and now to Jacob, Jacob won't see them in his lifetime. But he does see where God has prospered him. He, he's, he's rich, as God had promised that he would prosper him. He's been protected and guided uh, up to this point in his life. He now has 12 sons from which there, the, it's clear that there's going to be a lineage that 
that continues to proclaim these promises that were made to first to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. So he sees some of the promises that were made to him fulfilled in his lifetime, but the vast majority he does not see. And that'll be significant when we come to the next chapter. But as he rejoices in the faithfulness of God, he also experiences many sad changes in his life and some tragic. And this is the way of faith. We're not promised that there will not be any problems or sadness or, or losses. In fact, we're told that the only thing that doesn't change is God, his word, his promises. And this is why all through our life, we, we thank God for all the blessings that he gives us. We thank God for men and women of faith. We thank God for family that have been faithful and have been examples to us and pointed us in, in the ways of the Lord. We thank God for all those blessings and memories. We thank God for the church family. We thank God for all the provisions that he's made. But when it's all said and done, our joy, our contentment, and our peace has to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. All these other things we thank him for, we've benefited from, we give him glory, but he is our solid rock, our anchor for life. Because there are going to come changes, unwanted, unpleasant, unplanned changes, but he will stay faithful to you. And so our faithfulness to him needs to remain the same as well. And if that's going to be the case, even in the good times, the times of blessing and prosperity, our rejoicing needs to be in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not in all the other things, not in relationships, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as he provides those other blessings, we give him thanks for those. And we honor him, acknowledge his faithfulness. Second Corinthians 6, verses 3 to 10. The Apostle Paul teaches us this in his own life. The Apostle Paul was faithful to honor the Lord in everything that he did after he came to know Jesus as his Savior. And he knew blessing after blessing. He was used as an instrument of God to do extraordinary miracles. He saw people being transformed from idolaters to a full surrender to the one true God. He had many blessings and deliverances during his ministry, his earthly ministry, but he also had trial after trial after trial. A man of faith knew the faithfulness of God, thanked God over and over for the faithfulness of God, and yet the man had stones thrown at him till he was left to die. He suffered a, a shipwreck on a trip that he knew was the will of God that he make. Everywhere he went, his own countrymen hated him. And, and this, this is the life of faith. It's, it's quite a mixture. And this is what we read here in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So our life of faith and our testimony of godliness remains the same. It doesn't matter what the changes are. Our testimony is to remain the same. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in turmoils, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. 
That's not a pleasant list, is it? But that was his experience. It was real. But that wasn't his only experiences. In the midst of those unwanted experiences, unpleasant ones, verse 6, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the, true, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So there's the good list in the midst of all those other trials and unwanted changes that he went through. He knew all of these other things in a personal way. He knew by knowledge. He knew who God was. He knew the will of God. He knew God's plan and purpose. By long-suffering, God gave him the strength to suffer those things. And it was, as Paul says, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. By kindness, the kindness of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. Those were the good things. And then continuing on in verses 8 through 9, in verse 10, we see the combination. By honor and dishonor. God honored him. God honored Paul's faith. The world dishonored him for his faith. The world will do the same for you. But God will honor you. By evil report and good report. Those who rejected the gospel thought Paul, the Jews thought he was a blasphemer. The Gentiles thought he was crazy and was destroying their way of life by taking away their idols and the money it generated. Evil report, but good report, first and foremost by God, but also by those who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as deceivers and yet true. Many call Paul a liar. Many Paul call a liar today. But it didn't matter. What he spoke was the word of God, and it was true. As unknown and yet well-known. The world in general didn't know Paul, and yet he's well-known, well-known by us, but more importantly, well-known by God. As dying, he faced death almost on a daily basis, the threat of death. And behold, we live. He has eternal life. As chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's, that's a phrase that I have been able to experience by the power and the kindness of the Holy Spirit. Deep sorrow in a trial, and yet in the midst of that sorrow, rejoicing knowing it was not in vain, knowing that the Lord had a plan and a purpose, and knowing when it's all said and done, I have eternal life. And what we go through in this life by faith It is putting up treasures on the other side. So yes, as sorrowful, in the midst of tears, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. When you share Christ with others, you are lavishing upon them the riches of eternity. If they will just hear, receive, and believe. As having nothing, yet possessing all things doesn't matter what you possess on this earth. God has blessed us materially, just like he did Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. They were rich, but they were rich in eternal things. The riches of this life, you're going to leave them behind. They'll burn up one day. But what we store up on the other side, that's for eternity. And so when you're going through life, and, and, and Satan is always so good to magnify the bad things. He knows how to get you discouraged and depressed. And all of us have 
have gone through times when we just seem overwhelmed and we begin to question why and is it really worth to continue to do the things we know honor the Lord when it doesn't really seem at this moment to be very helpful. Remember that God is always faithful to fulfill his plan and his purpose. Everything he promised to Jacob will be fulfilled. Again, it wasn't all in his lifetime, Jacob's lifetime, but God honored his word. It's eternal. If you just want to turn to chapter 36 of Genesis, we won't read this chapter. It's the genealogy of Esau and his family. When you have time, read it privately. I don't think it's something that we need to read all of these names publicly, but there are lessons, I think, that we can learn from the very presence of this chapter and from the recording of Esau's family and his descendants. We see that this chapter registers for us, if you glance through there, that Esau's family grew fast and large and powerful and wealthy very fast in Esau's lifetime. In this passage, you'll read, most students agree that you see five sons of Esau, 10 grandsons and 11 tribal chiefs, and then a number of kings also mentioned in this, this chapter. And all of this was in Esau's lifetime. And so this genealogy, as far as Israel was current concerned, this would teach them where some of their enemies came from, the Edomites and then the Amalekites, because there, if you glance at Genesis thirty-six twelve, you see that the Amalekites descended from Esau, and the Amalekites were one of Israel's most consistent enemies. And so Israel would understand that, oh, this is where my enemies came from. They're actually distant relatives. This chapter stands as a contrast with Jacob. Esau, because remember, God promised Esau blessings too. Even though Esau didn't go on to seek and desire spiritual things, God promised to bless Esau, and he did. But Esau, in his choice of carnality, in his choice of rejecting the value of spiritual things, he seemed to prosper faster and in greater numbers than, than Jacob did, who was God's chosen one. <laughs> and yet Esau, he, he sees all of these blessings in his lifetime. The lesson here for us, if you want to look at verse 31 there, Esau saw kings in his lifetime, kings that descended from him, where Jacob didn't. Jacob saw his 12 sons born, but he didn't see any kings come from them in his lifetime. And in verse 31, now these were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. So I think the greatest lesson that we can learn from this chapter 36, full of names, is that we need to be careful not to let Satan distract us to focus on the wealth and the prosperity of those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, who have no value for spiritual things, and yet they seem, and again, Satan's good about this, he, he over-exaggerates things in our minds. Look how well they're doing. Look at the pleasure. Look at the wealth. Look, look how good they're doing. And, and look, and you're sacrificing and doing what the Lord wants you to do, and yet you have all these problems, and they don't seem to, they don't have any problems. Of course, that's a lie, but Satan likes to 
paint that picture. Oh, look, they're, they don't have any problems. What a, what a wonderful life they have, and they don't love Jesus. Why do you waste your time and energy studying the Bible and worshiping the Lord and going to church? And you could have all of that. Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26. When you're tempted that way, you need to back up and get the big picture. Moses understood. Moses descended from Jacob. And Moses understood something. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, you have to believe what God says. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So there are pleasures. The Bible doesn't deny that. There's pleasures in sin. There is a time as Esau's life, prosperity, wealth, everything's going great. It's a season. And when you, when you think of Mo- Moses' choice here, he was in the family that, that ruled the known world at that time. It was the place of high education, of military power, wealth, everything you could possibly want as a human being. Moses already had, and yet he, there came a time when he realized that God's calling of the nation of Israel, the, the children of Israel, God's plan and purpose was far more valuable and lasting and desirable than what Egypt offered him. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, verse 26, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He looked beyond the present. He saw that eternal heavenly perspective, which we must always maintain, or we will be swallowed up by the problems of life. We have to stop, go to the Word of God, and get that eternal perspective. God said, all things are working together for my good. This doesn't seem good. But God has my eternal best interest in mind. And so I trust Him that this thing that doesn't seem so good is going to bring something eternal in my life, something good. Galatians 6, 9, Jacob was going through a lot of unpleasant, unwanted changes. The love of his life died. His father died. Now he's the sole patriarch of the family. God has given him blessings, responsibilities. He could have grown weary in his sadness. But in Galatians 6, 9, we let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So don't look at Esau's flourish of prosperity, wealth, and power. Don't look at the world. Don't let Satan deceive you into thinking, oh, they've got it so good. It doesn't take too much to begin to wipe off the whitewash that the world puts on their prosperity and goodness to see just how miserable they really are. But again, Satan can paint that picture. Don't believe it. James 5. I'm going to have to close here. I'll let you read James 5, verses 7 to 12, where we're exhorted to be patient, waiting for the coming of the Lord. We've heard it all our life. Jesus is coming. We sang about it in the twinkling of an eye. That's how quick it'll happen. But he hasn't come for 2,000 years. But when he comes, it'll be like that, and he will come. Are you watching? Are you waiting? Be patient, just like the farmer, till he comes. 
You can also jot down Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 39, where we are told to be patient, not to cast away our confidence, which has great reward, but endure till Jesus comes. For yet a little while, verse 37, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. The just will live by faith. They'll believe the promise. No matter what you're going through, good or bad, that's our solid foundation, our faith in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our calling is eternal. The world's pleasure, whatever it might hold for them for a moment, it's going to pass. And it passes quicker than than Satan wants you to believe. But the joy of the Lord is forever. The joy of the Lord is even in the midst of sorrow. You can't explain it. There's a peace that goes beyond explanation, but it's real, and it's far more valuable than whatever the world offers you. Again, we don't won't take time, but it, read Psalm 73. It kind of sums up the lesson that I'm trying to, to bring tonight from this example of chapter 36 of Genesis. Asaph, he says he almost slipped. He almost walked away from his life of faith because he looked in the world, the sinners, the rejectors of God, they were just doing great. Didn't seem to have a problem at all. And then he looked at those like himself that were dedicating themselves to the service of the Lord, and they had problem after problem after problem. And once again, Satan magnifies that. He wants you to, oh, look how great this is. Look how miserable this is. Asaph says, I almost bought it. I almost fell. And then I went into the presence of the Lord. I got in his presence. He made it clear to me that what he's promised me is eternal that will never pass away, that he will provide everything I need in the moment. Doesn't mean I won't have trials. Doesn't mean I won't have sorrows or changes that I don't want in my life, but it means he'll still be there to do what he promised he would do. We can close in, in that 73rd Psalm, his conclusions. Verse 22, we'll start. Psalm 73. You can read the whole Psalm when you have time. I was so foolish and ignorant I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. What a wonderful promise. He'll guide us in this life. Give us wisdom and direction if we'll ask him. And then when it's all said and done, he'll receive us into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. And you have destroyed all of those who desert you for holotry or idolatry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. When you're tempted to be discouraged by your trials and the world's prosperity, Remember who your father is. Remember the promises that he's made to you. I think we'll close there this evening.